The name of the sermon today is called The Death and Life of His Servant. The Death and Life of His Servant. And we're going to start reading uh, Romans chapter 6, actually at verse 10, okay? So from Romans chapter 6 and verse 10, let's, let's read this. <coughs> For the death that he died, you see that? The death that he died. He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves. Remember the other word for that will be calculate, think. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. There's a tricky verse there, verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Repeating the question at the very beginning of the chapter, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Do you understand this, he's saying? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you get this? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. <laughs> You were delivered to the truth in Christ. You were delivered to righteousness in Christ. You were brought to this doctrine, to this teaching. And it says in verse 18, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end of everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God's Spirit himself give you Understanding and conviction regarding these things. It's a very long uh, passage we've read together. It, it really all goes together. There's some profound and deep truths here. 
The saved servant, which is brought into view here in this passage in in chapter 6, this this person who has been uh, justified, given justification, made righteous in Christ, he has an actual response to sin now. He's, He's taught, you and I are taught, we're shown what our response to sin is. Briefly look back at 519 with me. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. There's this paradigm brought into view here in Romans 5 and 6. There there are only two categories of men in the earth. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. We start seeing that. It becomes more and more apparent there in chapter 5. And Christ's obedience, Christ's righteousness has become the believer's righteousness. Full atonement. Full atonement. Completed and finished in Christ. So, There is this gospel revelation here in Romans 5 and 6. Why does God see all men as sinners? It's revealed right here, 5 and 6. Why are all men seen as sinners? Because they're in Adam. This is a worldview. This is a, a, a truth for you to understand why it is that the men of the world are condemned in their sin. They're in Adam. This is a huge truth, right? This is why God sees all men as sinners. And and it does say early in the book of Romans, all sinned, but why? Where did it come from? Why are they all sinning? Why are they all condemned in their sin? It's because of Adam. And how God, he himself, in a man's person, in Christ, the one following Adam, he is how men are credited with righteousness. God, perfect God in the flesh, granting righteousness to sinners who put their trust in Him. By Christ, many are made righteous. By Christ, men. Your righteousness, if, if you've come to saving faith, your righteousness is Christ's righteousness. It's a profound thing in the gospel. Do you know that you cannot add one iota to your righteousness? You know what that word iota is? Did your parents use that word when you were a kid? One iota. It's actually a Greek uh, letter, the, the letter iota. It's a letter I. You can't add anything to your righteousness. Do you realize that? And, and the fact that you and I cannot add to our righteousness is kind of part of what goes into play in our minds and in our hearts and our, our beginning of understanding of justification of why we begin to take on a, a casual attitude towards sin. Well, what's the point of me caring about sin? Because I can't add to my righteousness. It, it's 100% purely the righteousness of Christ. And, and we do begin to get some sense that, well... 
It all had to do with God's saving me, bringing me to faith. I can't make myself any more righteous. Christ is all of my righteousness. Is God's grace that has made all of this happen to me and for me. And Romans chapter 6 is... I really, I do hope that my repetitiveness of this is becoming obvious to you, but Romans 6 is so that you will know how do I think about sin? What does the Bible teach me to think about sin as a person who has been 100% recipient of the righteousness of Christ? How am I supposed to think about sin? Does your concept of God's grace formulate in your mind in some way that you have a casual attitude towards sin? Do you do you think sin is is no big deal? And this is this is really why this entire chapter is here. Sin is still sin. Is that helpful to you? Sin is still sin. Even after the death and resurrection of Christ. That's helpful to me. Sin is still sin. So the first line of argument, teaching Christians that they are, they are not to continue in sin. The first line of argument in the chapter we saw in 6, 2, and 3. Look at it just very, very quickly, very briefly. <clears throat> He asked the question, shall we continue in sin? The answer in verse 2, certainly not. No. How shall we who died to sin live any longer? In, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The Christian died and was buried with Christ. They died. You died. And as it turns out in the explanation of, of chapter 6 here, this death is a death to sin. It's a spiritual reality. You, you died to sin when you died with Christ. And I think I asked this question with you last week, but I'm going to ask this question to you again. Did I die to sin when I trusted Christ? This is why the apostles proclaimed repentance when they preached the gospel and they told people, even the Lord Jesus, in his initial preaching of the gospel, the very first mention of his gospel preaching, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is a, there's this reality that, that sin in our lives, and maybe our familiarity with it, maybe our lack of discomfort with it, is is the cause of the apostles and the Lord Jesus saying, you repent, leave your sin. The kingdom is upon us here. And so when you think about your apprehensions of the gospel, when you remember your thinking about it and what's going on in your own head and your own heart, did you leave sin when you came to Christ? Is that what happened? Did you die to sin? Is, is the more precise question of chapter 6 here. Heading of the next thought, heading of the next section is, is death is why we say no to sin. Okay? 
Sinners who have been made righteous by Christ are told that they cannot live in sin if they died with Christ. That's, that's just what the scripture says here. If you died with Christ, you cannot keep living in sin. That's, that's a biblical truth. And it's how you begin thinking about why am I looking at sin from my own heart as something I must avoid. Well, because I died with Christ and the scripture teaches me if I died with him, then I say no to sin. How does he help you picture that? He says believers baptism. He says when you were baptized, and this is in verses one to four. Don't you know that your baptism was a picture of your death with Christ? Right? This is why believers baptism is is so crucial. This doctrine, this this thing we're studying about our attitude towards sin picks up part of our understanding and belief about it from our own baptism. Were you baptized? He is appealing to your baptism here. When you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. You died with Christ. If you died with Christ, then you died to sin because Christ's death was a death to sin. If you died with Christ, then you died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? Faith in the Lord Jesus is faith in his death to sin, being your death to sin, and a risen life to God. And therefore, Christians do not continue in sin. So the Spirit of God continues building this case, continues working on explaining and training you and I how to think about sin. Not only did the believer die to sin with Christ and then raised with a new life, not only did that happen, he was also raised the servant of a new master. So the death that takes place in your death with Christ is kind of like this door that takes you into dying to sin and then raised to new master. And this is how the most of the, 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 the next section of Romans 6 here develops. There's a new master relationship. Your death with Christ ended a chapter in your life. Your death with Christ was the end of something and it was the end of your relationship to sin. And it was the beginning of a servant-master relationship with Christ. And that's what's being taught to us here. Now, it's, it's always important for you to remember all the things that have taken place in Romans at this point. This is for a person who has put their trust in Christ for their righteousness. Being his servant is not how you earn righteousness. This is what has become true of his servants. They have been made his children. They have been given his righteousness. But that death with him ended that servitude. There is a relationship that all men have 
to different kinds of sin before Christ. It's, it's, it's like a marketplace in a way. Sin makes deals with you. Sin gives you stuff. Or sin protects you from stuff. It offers you favors. It offers you relief. Sin is a strange thing when you begin to think deeply about how sometimes it helps you or comforts you or how sometimes it threatens you. But when you die to sin, it's, it, it's set off to the side. And, and, and you become dead to this marketplace of, of offerings and threats of sin. It, it, it's a store where we don't shop anymore because you've died to it. So death, you dying with Christ, is why we say no to sin. Now, as you recall, and I know you recall this, but connect the dots. Death with Christ is, is a knowledge and in, in your understanding that his death is a redemption of you. You remember that? Look at Romans 3.24. It says you were redeemed. You guys remember what the word redeemed is? It comes out of our own culture. We understand what it would mean to redeem a slave, especially we, we have that in our own history. Um, there's such thing as an indentured servant. You guys know what an indentured servant is, right? And In the old days, I don't know if they have it so much now anywhere in the world, but if I needed money to get to the new world, I could go to Randy who owned a ship or who owned a, a plantation in America and say, I'll, I'll work for you for five years if you can give me passage to the new world and, and take care of my needs for a little while. And so I become his servant in exchange for that. Now, Joyce pities this guy who's working for this cruel plantation owner over here. And she says, hey, I'll just pay you off. What, what, what do we have to give him? And he says, well, uh, 10 grand will cover it. That's called a redemption. That's what the word means. So if you look at Romans 3.24, you see that we're not making this up. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is a redemption. It's a purchase. And the, the price paid in the redemption is the blood of Christ. And so not only does, does your death with Christ mean a death to sin, it means that you are redeemed in the person of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Practically speaking, what does it mean? Well, it means you have a new master. If you've been purchased by somebody... If you've been redeemed by somebody, you you have a new owner. Whether they deal with you, well, it's kind of up to them, isn't it? It's kind of up to the one who has redeemed you to say, well, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? You know, some slaves could be redeemed and then even put to worse use by their new master and their new owner, right? That could happen. In, in this case, the Lord Jesus redeems this people. And if you recall, go all the way back to 5 and 21. And, and let's finish putting these dots together. It said, as sin reigned in death. 
Now what is, give me some synonyms for the word reigned here. What does reigned mean? Ruled. Perfect word. As sin ruled. I could say as sin mastered. As sin kinged. As sin dominated. Right? All those could be used. As sin reigned in death. Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The word Lord there, you, you know that word means master, don't you? That word Lord means master. Through Christ Jesus the master. There is a different reign. When you left the reign of sin and death, you became a part of the reign of grace and life through Jesus Christ the Lord, Jesus Christ the Master. There is a reign, there is a rule that is being taught to you and I that when you die with Christ, now a moment ago I called it a, a chapter in a book, but let's just say you went to sleep. You went to sleep in that death, and when you woke up, you were awake in a new realm a new rule, a new master rules. Death in Christ is death to sin. Life in Christ is life to a new master. You have a new master. There has been a transfer of ownership if there is a transfer of reign. Who owns you if you have not come to faith in Christ? Sin. Who owns you if you have put your faith in Christ? Christ. You have been given a new master. Don't obey sin, in other words, because sin is not your owner. Don't obey sin. Sin isn't your owner. If you're obeying sin, then you're accomplishing the purposes and the ambitions and the works of someone who isn't your owner. Don't do the work of the one who is opposed to your owner. You get it? You see how simple it is? You see how easy it is to understand that we have been really brought into this great place of privilege, into this grace in which we now stand. All of the righteousness you need for eternal life has been given to you in Christ, and you have a new owner. This is what the, 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 the meat of Romans 6 is teaching us. Look now with me at Romans 6.14. Sin shall not have dominion over you, he says, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, put that one on hold there. That's a, that's a tricky phrase here. You have to have a good memory going back in the book a little bit here. But verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? That's the first question. Certainly not. That is the first question in the book. Certainly not. Again, he says, verse 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So verse 15 looks at your life's obedience. Verse 15 looks with you. When, when you're reading this, when you're hearing this, you 
should be considering your life's obedience. He's, he's saying, don't you know that the one you obey is the one who owns you? So these, these ones pondering a life of aloofness towards sin, these ones pondering a life of continuing in sin, that grace may abound, or continuing in sin because of whatever reason they have thought might justify it. He's saying the one you serve is your master. So the one you obey is your master. And so the question being asked, that the, what we're analyzing is, is seen, the answer to the question is seen through, who does the man serve? And interestingly, what, what Romans has done for us here is made it a very simple decision. There's only two masters in the universe for men. There's only two. You either serve Sin, on the one hand, or you serve Christ, on the other hand. The book of Romans just kind of blasts wide open this, this very simple worldview. Romans chapter 6, by the Spirit of God, by the, by the glorious work of the Spirit of God, allows you this, this moment to look at your own life for a moment, to ponder your own life as a slave. He's saying you are a servant. You're serving God or you are serving sin. Those are the only two choices and you may be looking for a third choice in your heart right now. But Romans 6 just makes it clear. It's one or the other. The Christian who has died with Christ, the believer who has died with Christ, has been removed from the service to sin. And that's, that's what's being laid out for us. You've been removed from the service to sin. And it is wrong for you to continue in sin. Because you, you, you've died with the Lord Jesus. You've been raised a, a servant with a new life. It's wrong to keep walking in sin, he says. These are so, so helpful for us. It's so clear. Why would it be offensive if someone said that you are a slave to sin? Does it offend you that someone might suggest that you are a slave to sin? It happened in John chapter 8. Lord Jesus suggested that, that the Jews were were slaves and they said we've never been enslaved before. They were they were so indignant that the Lord Jesus would compare them to slaves. I think that any of us who have been enslaved by a sin and by sins, we would rather say that it is simply us exercising our adult independence we can kind of do what we want. I, I, I've decided to do this or that and instead of. <laughs> Let me give you just a couple of examples that I think could be real life to me. I think they could be real life to you. Have you ever been watching television or some sort of entertainment like that 
and then have it occur to you. you the, the thought comes to your mind, and you thought, you know, I should probably just be reading my Bible for a little while this afternoon. And I want to, I want to read the Word. And and so your your moment of entertainment gets interrupted by this thought. Have you ever had that thought come into your head, and you decided just to leave the TV going? And not go find your Bible and pick it up and, and read it for 15 or 20 minutes? It's, it's happened to me. Have you ever been working in your yard or your garden or on a vehicle or on some house project of some kind and then have the thought occur to you and, and, and you wonder for a moment, maybe I should kind of drop this stuff and, and check in on person that comes to mind. You know, you're kind of wondering if they need help. And... Instead of following up on that with a phone call or hopping in your car to go encourage them, you say, nah, i got to finish this project. i got to finish this job. There, there are good works which God has prepared in advance for you to do, which is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. There, there are things that God has intended for his people to be doing and accomplish for him. And the Lord will bring them to your mind sometimes. And so sometimes it, it, it might happen to us that sins sway over us that say, no, take care of your project and don't go encourage that person. Sins sway is what you listen to. Have you ever done that? Have you ever listened to sins suggestion for you before? I think you have. Because I'm pretty sure you're made of the same clay as Adam and I. All I want you to realize is that the scripture here speaks about those who have been raised with Christ as servants of Christ. Servants of God. You are no longer slaves to sin. That is, when it is suggested to you, when the sinful suggestion is made to you, when this selfishness, when whatever, don't, don't, don't be ashamed of those things coming in your mind. But remember, you are the one who could say, no, I'm not going to obey sin. I'm not going to do that. You're the one who can do that. So entering into God's grace, which is, which is what has happened to the person who has put their faith in the Lord Jesus. You've entered into this grace in which we now stand, is how Paul puts it that one time. It doesn't mean that there aren't right things for you to do after you've come to Christ. Standing in his grace, having his righteousness will often mean that you need to do some kind of right thing for the Lord. Entering into God's grace means that you have a new master. Entering into God's grace means that righteousness is the work that God's servant does. Now, listen to this carefully. Sins don't cancel God's grace. And your battle with sin does have an assured victory. Okay? The person who has been raised a new life in Christ is given 100% righteousness in Christ. So there is this battle taking place in the Christian's life. 
you striving against sin, you working against sin, which we'll get into later in Romans 7 and 8. But you are indeed engaged in this work against sin by the power of God's Spirit in your life because that's what you're for. Believing in the Lord Jesus, you actually possess all of the righteousness of Christ. And this is how God sees you. Even when you stumble and sin, he sees you perfectly righteous. Grace reigns. When you're in grace, the reign of grace is righteousness. Righteousness is reigning. We've been explained that many times to this point. Righteousness reigns, not death and condemnation. That doesn't mean our sins aren't wrong. Our sins are wrong. And righteousness reigns to eternal life. So at verse 16, where the question is repeated, do you not know? that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. I'm sorry, that was the answer to the question. Shall we continue in sin? Shall we continue in sin? The answer being, if you continue walking in sin, then you are sin's slave. Unless you are serving righteousness, then you are the slave of righteousness. Now, follow with me here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some help. We're going to keep going so that we have a really good understanding of what he's teaching us. There are two masters, sin, righteousness. Don't continue in sin because you're serving the slave master of sin if you continue in sin, which produces death. So Paul says that men live serving sin or as servants of God. Righteousness is your gift from God. Perfect standing in Christ is your gift from God and His grace. If you have died with Christ to sin, you have lived to new life and righteousness with Christ, you are alive to who? You're alive to God, is what He said. You're alive to God. Don't sin because why? Don't sin because the works of sin are anti-God. They're, they're cruel. They're destructive. They're corrupt. Don't sin because they are anti what you have become in Christ. Obey God because his righteousness is the only suitable work for his servants. Obey him because it's the only thing that is the right outpouring of your being in his reign. You're God's servants if you've been raised with Christ. You're God's slaves. So... By having the opportunity to see these two pairings, they're, they're, they're what 
There, there is a slave-master relationship times two in Romans chapter 6. One is a servant of sin and the other one is a servant of Christ. And I actually think it's really easy for you and I, if that's the reality of the world, if the world is either men who serve God in righteousness or men who serve sin in unrighteousness, I think it's very, very easy for you and I to say, of course, we will not go through our lives serving sin. That's not what we do. It's plain, right? It's obvious. That's why we do not continue in sin. So then, to whom do you present yourself? That's how it was phrased in some other translations. I think the New King James says, present yourself in verse 16. Let me see if I'm right about that. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? Let's consider this word, who you present yourselves to. The King James uses the word yielded instead. So if you present yourselves to sin, then you are the servant of sin. But if you present yourselves to Christ, then you are a servant of Christ. The word If it means yielded, I think it helps you and I understand the conflict in our own hearts sometimes. This word yielded is a little bit more clear. So what it means is this. What is the servant's attitude toward either sin or righteousness? What is your heart yielded to? What is your mind yielded to? In other words, it's it's kind of ready to launch into one or the other. If you're ready to go after sin, if you're if you're hungry and eager to grab onto your sinful opportunity, then you are yielded to sin. If your heart is ready to honor the Lord, if your heart is pleased to stand in Christ or to work in Christ, then your yieldedness is to God and Christ. So this, I think the word yielded is a little bit more helpful. It, it pictures the servant's desire for his master. What is the servant's desire for the master? I am... Um, I read this verse here this morning that I have had on our handout. I always have loved this psalm that I have written in the corner of the handout. Psalm 123, verse 2 says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. You see the really pretty, beautiful picture of a a person who's just ready for their master, their queen, their king to say, would you do this for me? And the person who loves their master is is ready to go and do that. They're, They're not inconvenienced. They're not irritated by it. So if your heart is yielded to the Lord, then you're sensitive to his ways. You're, you're, you're eager for his objectives and you are ready to act on his account when he brings the opportunity to you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Go ahead and turn there. I think this is also helpful to us. This goes in the right order. By grace you have been saved through faith. 
You know, that means you have been granted the righteousness of Christ by your faith in Christ. It is done for you who have put your faith in Christ. Saved. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, it is the most humble thing you will ever do to put your faith in Christ for salvation. Now look at the next verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. There's, 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 a, there's a book written of the good deeds that make up your and my life because we're servants, Right? We've been raised to new life as servants, and the Lord has service for you. Not to give you salvation, not to give you anything, but your job to do in a service. He's prepared you for these works. He's purchased you from sin's death. He made you his. You understand these things and you believe. Sin's works are awful. Sin's deeds don't help you. Don't help glorify the name of the Savior. You know these things. This is why we don't sin. Because we've been raised to new life as God's servants. Now, let's look at the last section that begins in verse 19. He says, I speak in human terms. And what he means is, is my talk about you being slaves and, and, and this kind of quote-unquote commercial interaction he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, the illustration helps you, you get it, helps you understand it. For as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, as you did that, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here in the closing lines of the chapter here, the Spirit lets us ponder on your life before Christ, or life with sin, which is in verses 20 and 21. Each servant relationship produces a fruit. He's saying, look, what did you have without Christ? What do you have without the master of grace? You have death. You have corrupt fruitfulness in your life. That's what you had. That's the point of those two lines there. Each servant relationship produces a fruit. The fruit that comes from the sinner's affection and service to sin is death. 
And so they produce shame, he says. There are shameful things that came from your sinful life. And ultimately and finally, death. <clears throat> so that's why you would hate sin. That's why you would avoid sin. That's why you would desire to walk in righteousness. He's saying, what is the fruit of, of not having the righteousness of Christ make up your life? Well, it's, it's shame and it's death. It's corruption. So don't continue in the labors that produce corruption and death. The free gift of God is eternal life, he finally says in the last couple of lines here. The free gift of God is eternal life. Would you say be saved by him and then serve sin? That's kind of the question. Would you be saved by the great king of righteousness and then serve sin? Or would you obey God and, and by his grace accomplish things that adorn his name and, and glorify his name? You know, righteousness by Christ the, the righteous words, the righteous life, the righteous deeds, everything about Christ, that righteousness is what was imputed to you to give you eternal life. Wouldn't you rather give your life doing the things that turned to the only real greatness in the world? The righteousness of Christ has already been imputed to the believer. So would you give your life in, in, in the service of good works? Or would you give your life in the service of sin that result in death? Don't you love God's righteousness and hate sin? Wouldn't you gladly deny sin forever because of its destruction, because of its ugliness, because of its anti-godness? Isn't that why you would want to avoid sin forever? So take a moment. So we take a minute and, and go to the Lord in prayer here and, and, and think about your life as a servant to sin or as a servant to Christ. We take a minute here and we ponder. And if you can bring a confession to the Lord and say, Lord, there, there, there's a way in, in, in my life where I, I believe I am a servant of sin and I repent of that, Lord. Don't live on in sin because the promises of sin are lies and momentary. So reject sin and leave sin and give your life and its, its service. Give your life and its works to the Lord. Let's take a couple minutes and just pray together.